Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. again, it is always wonderful to see each and every one of you. And um, as we were worshiping the Lord together just a moment ago, um, some things came to my mind, and I want to begin um, this message a little differently than I anticipated. Um, I want to begin by just having a brief moment of personal confession. And um, I don't know, it was, it was weighing on me. Um, I have, well, here's a confession. Two, this is repentance, confession, and uh, one, I have... Um, just the it's so easy for me to try to do things in my own power and I don't want to do that and I, and I confess I, I do that at times and I want to repent of that the second thing is this another thing that you may be aware of may not be aware of I, um, but, but um, the easiest thing in the world for me to do is to get puffed up and prideful um, coming and, and preaching and um, sometimes people will call me or come visit me or I want counsel and I give it to them and it's easy to start thinking that perhaps I'm something special and um, it's really important to me in light of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I got nothing, man. I, I'm, I'm not saying this in order to um, elicit any response from you. But, but um, I, want you, I want you to know that um, I am a sinner just like you, saved by grace. And that's it, man. That is it. The, law, the living God, listen, the sovereign God, the sovereign God saved me and then a little bit later in my my life um after he saved me he 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 placed upon me a calling to preach so i don't preach because i'm good at it i preach because i'm called to do it and you too have a calling on your life and so i just encourage you all right we'll get in the text now (laughs) i love you guys that's what happens i'll start seeing you people and i love you so much um let's do this man back into daniel okay that's the series we're going through and today we're going to be in daniel chapter four so i would like to invite all of you um to get out your bibles if you're watching this or you're online listening to this you can get your bibles out as well or open your bible app to daniel chapter four because that is what we're here to do man study the living active word of god God. You can also get your um, notes. Uh, you can take notes. You can go online. We got an outline. Our app also has some outlines. You can follow along if you want to do that. All right. So um, real quick, before we get into Daniel chapter four, there's some things that I'd like to say about Daniel chapter four. Here's the most. This is the first thing I'm going to say to you about Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four, man, some really odd things go down in it. All right. There's some odd things in Daniel chapter four. And I remember the first time I really read and studied Daniel chapter 4, I was in college, all right? Now, um, I was aware at that time that the book of Daniel contained something about a lion's den, and I knew there was something about some, um, I don't know, burning fiery furnace and all that kind of stuff. Man, you can be a casual attender to church 
and you're going to maybe know about those or be familiar with them. But in college, my undergraduate, I was required to take an Old Testament class one semester and a New Testament class one semester. And so we get into that Old Testament class. And during that Old Testament class, we're studying the book of Daniel. And it's there I discovered the book of Daniel is a whole lot more than a lion's den in a burning, fiery furnace. Like, like straight up, man, there are some legit odd things going down in the book of Daniel, right? But here's the thing, I know that it's all true, I know that it's the living, active Word of God, and I know everything contained in it, in the book of Daniel, like the whole Bible, but the book of Daniel, and Daniel chapter 4 specifically that we're looking at today, I know there's things contained in it the living God wants us to know. I know there's things in Daniel chapter 4 that God wants us to know about him. In other words, God has revealed himself or some aspect of him or some character of him, characteristics of him in Daniel chapter 4. And God says this, church, I want you to pay attention to it. I want you to listen to it and I want you to learn from it because I am revealing myself to you in it, right? Man, from, from time to time, I'll run into a Christian or Christians and... They'll say something like this. They'll say, Pastor Travis, I wish God would speak to me today. I want to hear him. And, and, and I'm always like this. If you want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read it out loud. Right? You know? God says, I've revealed. God says, I have revealed everything that you need to know about me in the living, active word of God. Read it, know it, and study it. All right. Okay, Daniel chapter 4, weird stuff, odd stuff. We're going to get into it. Real quick, let me lay my cards on the table. What is the grand truth that God desires for us to get out of Daniel chapter 4? Here's the grand truth. I'm just going to read it, tell you, and then we're going to get into it. Here's the grand truth. Here it is. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I'll say it again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, once again, God says that over and over in Scripture, many times in many ways through many different people. But today in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to see it up close and personal because God, God's going to take a puffed-up man, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to crush him, man. He's going to crush him into nothing, but he don't leave him there by his grace God's going to restore him. And so let's look at it and let's learn from it. It's interesting. Daniel chapter 4 begins like Daniel chapter 2 with a dream. Verse 1, let's look at this, the introduction of the dream. The introduction of the dream. I'm just going to read verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now, now, now let's pause here and, and let's talk about this. It appears that King Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing an open letter to the whole world, and it's interesting, right? I mean, I mean if you have read um, the first three chapters of Daniel, and I hope you had been with us so far, you're, you're probably expecting, man, this guy, as soon as he writes a letter about to everybody, the next thing he's going to say is something like this, come worship me. Come make much of me, because up until this point, that's all the dude does, right? He writes letters, and he says, come worship me. I am, I am, I am amazing. I am awesome. And if you, do, if you don't, if you don't come worship me, 
I'm he says this, he likes doing this. He goes, I'm going to cut all your limbs off is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to burn down your house, all right? That's what the guy does, right? That's the way he rolls. That's what we know about him. Verse 2, it takes an unexpected twist. Check this out. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Pause. you got to say, what? What, 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 what is this about? I don't expect that. I didn't expect that, right? The arm-tearing, house-burning, throwing people in a fiery furnace man, evil egomaniac, you want to tell me about the living God. That's interesting, man. Verse 3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Dude, once again, that's going to catch you off guard, right? That, 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 that catches you off guard. Like, like how, how did he get here? You know, man, like we hang, we hanging out with the guy last week, and he tearing people's arms off. Now you get verse 4, chapter 4, and he's like, man, I want to tell you about the living God. It'll catch you off guard. Maybe, maybe you've had a similar experience. I bet, I bet you all of you had to have had that kind of encounter. Like maybe you knew someone five years ago or ten years ago and they were an evil, mean dude or dudette. I don't know. Well, there's mean. And then maybe you're down at the, the supermarket. You're in Publix. I'm going to buy something. And you see them walk around the corner and you like put your head down. You're like, I don't want these dudes. That dude's mean. And they run up to you and then they start telling you about Jesus. And you're like, I didn't expect that. What happened? What's going on? Or maybe this. This happened to me, man. This happened to me. It happened to me. There was this dude in high school, mean dude, just a mean dude, man, a mean dude. And then um, several years ago, I get a friend request from him on Facebook or some social media. I don't know. He was trying to contact me, and I'm like, I don't know, dude. Let me, let me kind of see what's going on. So I look at his stuff, and the dude loves Jesus. And you're like, what's, go what's going on with all these guys? What's Nebuchadnezzar? All these, all these, what's going on? What has happened to them? I will tell you what's happened to them. At some point, at some time, they've had an encounter with the living God, and God saved them. It might actually sound like your story, right? Amen. Nonetheless, that's what's happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he begins to verse 3, to verse 3. I want you all to listen. This is what he says. Now we're going to get to verse 4, and he's going to give us his testimony. He's going to tell everybody. This is how it went down. Here we go. Let's, let's sit back, church, and hear the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. All right? Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to tell you, this is what my life was like prior to meeting the living God. He's like, man, I'm at home. I'm burning houses. I don't know what the dude was doing for fun. Watching people burn in the furnace, I have no idea. He's like, but I'm content. I'm happy. Things are good. I'm rich. I'm powerful. I'm famous. Well, we're going to see in just a moment the living God interrupts this, changes everything. Once again, I've seen this many times. Maybe some of you would say something very similar. I know some of you would. You sitting there living your, your life, and you're like, my life is easy, it is fun, it is good. And then all of a sudden, this is similar to my story, all of a sudden, some guy walks up to me, and the, the guy had the audacity to share the gospel with me. 
That's some powerful stuff. I'm like, do do do, life is great, and I'm awesome. I hear the gospel, life is not great, and I am not good, right? And there is a holy God, and I got a problem. God saved me that day, but that's what God interrupts. God interrupts. Praise God that he is a God of interruption. So he interrupts him. Verse 5, check it out. Here's Nebuchadnezzar keeps going on. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Verse 6. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So it begins, once again, similar to chapter 2. King, this king, he got a dream, he gets afraid, he seeks clarity. He begins, I don't know why he begins this way in chapter 4, because it didn't work in chapter 2. But he begins by getting all the pagan, all his pagan magicians and all these guys, he's like enchanters and stuff. Hey, you guys, come tell me what's going on. But just like in um, uh, chapter 2, they can't do it. We talked about that week number 2. They don't have the ability to do it, okay? They don't do it. So you get to verse 8. He goes, here's what I'll do. I'll bring in Daniel. It's interesting to me because you might think he would start with Daniel. I mean, you go back to chapter 2. Let's just start with the guy who can get it done. But he don't. He goes to the worldly people. Now he's going to go to Daniel. Check this out. I'm going to go to Daniel. Daniel, help me out. Verse 8. Here we go. At last, <laughs> I don't know, man. You ever think sometimes that we are prone to doing the right thing the last time? I don't know. That's this guy. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God. Remember, he had changed his name. The king had changed his name, Daniel's name. And whom, check this out, check this out. Look how he describes Daniel. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And I told him the dream saying. Okay, we'll stop there. So no, notice, just real quick, we're not going to get real deep into this, but notice how he describes Daniel. He goes, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? In other words... Man, he doesn't talk to all the, the, the pagan magicians and enchanters and all that stuff, right? But when he talks to, about Daniel, he's like, you know what? There's something different about Daniel. You know, I can't I can actually tell you. I can't verbalize it, but I know there's something different about him. And the best he can do to articulate the difference is to say he has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Now, once again, Nebuchadnezzar, he don't know the living God. He doesn't know any correct theology, but he knows there's something different, so he verbalizes it this way. The interesting thing is this. Even though he is a pagan, even though he doesn't know the living God, in his ignorance, he actually says something theologically correct, meaning there is the spirit of the living God in Daniel, and he notices it, he sees it, he can't verbalize exactly what it is. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. I believe that this should be the same way non-believers look at us as believers. I do. Like, they may not be able to verbalize that we're a Christian. They may not be able to verbalize what we believe, but I do believe they can say there's something different. I can't put my finger on it. I remember... Um, I remember my, my, my wife and I, we lived, uh, when I was in seminary, we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, we had some friends who lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, they didn't know the living Lord. They don't love the living Lord. They were, they were what you would call spiritual. They would say they were spiritual. That's what they would say. And they come down to visit us in Albuquerque. And I remember, man, they came into our house. They walk around their ho our house. And I remember they came and they looked right at me and they said, 
there's a good spirit in this house. And I said, inside, it's the Holy Spirit. Oh, <laughs> God the Spirit. Not because we're good. We're not good. We're dirty, rotten. Man, but God saved us. God the Spirit indwells us. And even though you don't know this living God, man, praise God that you can identify that there is a living God. And he does. He moves. Anyway, that's what I believe. I believe this. I believe this all of us. We can be able to say that. There's something different about that dude. Um, or who, woman, man, whatever. Um, it happens this way, too. Just real briefly, sometimes... I don't know, um, maybe you have a friend who doesn't like you or whatever, but they know you love Jesus. They don't talk to you, but then things go bad for them. This is interesting. They'll often call you up to pray for them. Why is that? There's something different. There's something different. Anyway, that's Daniel, verse 10. He's going to tell him the vision. Here we go. Verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I'm just reading this. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. Right, big tree. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. Oh, that was a really big tree. And it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Verse 12, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it were food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was, all flesh was fed from it. That's his dream. All right, all right. Now, let me add this real quick. By the way, in those times, a, a, a big tree was frequently used to symbolize a great ruler, all right? Now, I don't think this is a particularly hard dream to interpret, right? It appears to me when you read this, Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's the tree. He's that big tree. I mean, I don't think this is rocket science. I don't, I don't, all right? That's, I think, what's going on. It is what's going on, all right? He's a big tree. He's a big tree, all right? But here's where the dream takes a twist. There's a second part to the dream. And this one, you're like, oh, I don't know, dude. This don't sound real good. Verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed out loud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root, roots in the earth bound with the band of iron and bronze amid, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Verse 16, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. All right, real quick. I, I, I'm no expert, but th that don't sound good. I mean, that don't sound good, okay? I mean, I mean, it's clear, I think, if the Holy One is the living God and you the big old tree, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. The question might be this. Why would the living God be choosing to do this? We get the answer in verse 17. It's there. Here's the reason. This is why this is going down. Check it out. The sentence is by the decree of the watcher. That's the living God. The decision by the word of the holy ones to, to the end that the living. Here we go. This is the reason. To the end. Here's the reason. That the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. That's it. In other words, 
God is doing this, or we're on the other side. God did that so that we might know that there is a sovereign God, and it is the sovereign God who rules all things. I don't, you don't, Nebuchadnezzar surely did not, even though he thought he did, but God says, I'm going to intervene into human history so that everyone will know that I am sovereign, and I do what I want, when I want, how I want, and all things it is good that's the dream all right introduction okay now you get to verse 19 and we're going to see the interpretation of the dream once again i don't think this is rocket science but (laughs) but daniel got to tell him verse 19 here we go then daniel whose name was belshazzar was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him Real quick, now why, why is Daniel dismayed and alarmed? Why? Because he knows what the dream means. He does. And it's not a small thing to go tell a man who for his pastime rips people's arms off, right? The bad news. Like that's, that's, no one's eager to do that. And so he's a little bit alarmed and dismayed. But look, verse 19, the, king's, the rest of verse 19, the king, he's going to speak up. The king answered and said, said Belshazzar, Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. In other words, King, if this applied to someone else, that'd be awesome. (laughs) That'd be good news. It'd be good news for you. It'd be good news for me because I think I'm about to tell you something and it's going to hurt Once again, every one of you here at some point in your life had to tell someone something they did not want to hear and you did not want to tell them, and you're sometime, there's a pause before that. But nonetheless, Daniel knew he had to deliver the news, and he delivers it. And he delivers it. We'll do this. I'm not going to read through all this, but in verses 20 through 24, he tells him. He just tells him, "Um, King, you the tree, and... um, the living God is um, the Holy One, and uh, yeah, <laughs> he's going to get chopped down, bro. You know, that's it, okay? Bad news. But here's the deal. Daniel doesn't just leave him with bad news, right? He doesn't, but he's going to describe some more, all right? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> he's going to give him, okay, I apologize. Verse 25, he's going to give him a little bit more worse news before he gives him some better news, <laughs> gets worse. Look at this, verse 25. This is where it gets odd, dude. I ain't joking. That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven in seven periods of time that seven years shall pass over you. Oh, wow. Come on. That's some odd stuff. I don't care who you are. That's odd stuff. But Daniel's like, not only... (laughs) Not only are you going to lose your kingdom, man, for seven years, this is what Daniel says, for seven years, dude, you're going to be like a cow, man. You're going to have like a, 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 an animal brain. But, but that's low, that's low, that's low. But there's also a little jab in there as well. I don't mean this bad or not, but he's like, not only, not, not only are you going to be a cow, man, kind of man, you also, you're going to be a vegan, right? Now, I'm not saying being vegan is a bad deal, but if you're a meat eater, I don't know, that's a pretty big deal. So you're going to be a cow? No, you're you going to think you're some beast. You're going to be eating grass for seven years. That's a big deal. This whole thing is a big deal. You're going to be losing your kingdom. 
You're going to be driven out from your kingdom. You're going to think you're a cow kind of man. I don't know, some sort of beast. And then you, you're, going to be eating, you're going to be eating grass. You're going to be a vegetarian, vegan, something over seven years. And that's heavy stuff. But doesn't end there because right after this, Daniel gives him some good news. He gives him some hope. And that's always the case with our God. There is always hope. Look at verse 27. Here it goes. Here's good stuff. Therefore, therefore, because, because you're about to lose the kingdom, you're about to be a cow, man, you're about to be eating grass for seven years. Because of this, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you what to do. Listen. Here's what he says. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel's like, hey, that was all bad news. But I got some advice for you. I got some information to give you. The living God has mercy. He is slow to anger. So here is how you should respond. Do two things. First thing, do... do Man, king, do this, man. Stop sinning, right? Dude, stop ripping the arms off people. Stop burning down houses. Stop throwing people in the burning, fiery furnace. Repent. Stop it. Knock it off. Stop. You can do that. At this very moment, king, you can stop all those things. And when you stop and repent, I want you to do a second thing. Not only stop doing that, I want you to start practicing righteousness. How? How? People ask, how do you practice righteousness? It's in the Bible. You practice righteousness by showing mercy to the oppressed. That's what you do. King, look, king, king. We're not, we're not asking you to do something that difficult, right? We're not asking you to do something that you cannot do or do not have the ability to do. This very moment, this very time, you can repent and stop doing this, this sinful stuff, and you can immediately start practicing righteousness. Good news. Like, dude, I mean, it's a no-brainer. You can lose the kingdom, become a cowman eating grass, or repent and believe. King says, you know what I want to do? I want to keep doing bad things. I don't want to repent. And he goes, nah, man, sounds good. I'm going to, I'm going to keep with the house burning and putting people in the fiery furnace. And that leads to verse 28, and we see the humiliation of the dreamer, all right? But even in this, you're going to see some of the characteristics of God that we love. Well, we love all of them, but check this out. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. What? Dude, everything that Daniel had said. Check it out. Check it out. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he, that's the king, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Stop. Don't, don't circle that 12 months. How long did God allow him to continue in his sin? Twelve months. Ain't no way any man or woman can come up to me and say, God is not gracious. He gave him 12 months 
God is gracious. God is patient. He was waiting for the king to repent and believe. That is God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't need to read the story about King Nebuchadnezzar to know that God is patient and kind and good and long-suffering. Why? Because I have imposed upon him many a time. He's always been gracious and kind and merciful. That is who he is. Church God is patient. Then we get to verse 30. And the king answered and said, and you get him, he's walking up there, do, 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 I'm on my palace. Is not this great Babylon, check this word, check this out, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for, oh, whoa, 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 this stuff will get you in trouble. For the glory of what? My majesty look at him just walking around this stuff is mine and i'm good and i'm powerful and i'm awesome look at me i'm special i did all of this come worship me well god interrupts verse 31 while the words were still in the king's mouth there fell a voice from heaven o king nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken, right? While these words are still coming out the king's mouth, the kingdom has departed from you, and you, you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass seven years over you until you know, once again, God's getting at something. Like God not doing this just to be funny. He's not just doing this to kind of you know, toy around, he has a lesson to teach that the most, that you may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God gives power to whom he wills. He's going like, yeah, praise God. Verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his Hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws, man. Pretty odd, dude. I don't know. It's an awesome thing, but it's pretty odd. You got King Nebuchadnezzar outside in some fence-like thing. I don't know. Everybody can see him, and he's crawling around like an animal. He's eating grass. I don't know. I imagine he got his. I don't know. I don't know what his hair was like. But when I think of feathered hair, I think about the '70s and the early '80s and that hair they got, you know, all feathered back and stuff. I don't know. He got the got the the, the claws. I don't know, man. It is, he's a raving maniac for seven years. Now, this is where I think someone could rightfully say, "I don't know, dude." I don't know, because that's really odd. It's hard to believe this. Maybe it was made up. It's just hard to believe that it went down like that. Let me say several things. First thing is this. If you get a hard time believing that, I got another crazy story about a man being raised from the dead, and you will really have a hard time believing that, right? But let me say this real quick in addition to that. I don't want to go too far down this, but there are extra biblical historical documents that kind of point to this. I mean, you can read this stuff. You can study that this, towards the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's life, 
some weird stuff happened, and we don't know exactly what it is. Um, you can Google it. You can read it. Um, the writings of Eusebius of Caesarea. He quotes um, Abinius from the 2nd century B.C., who quotes Magathenus from 300 B.C. But all three of these guys relate this kind of historical oral tale and it's, this is what he said. It's, they say, Nebuchadnezzar, towards the end of his life, went to the roof of his palace, and he became possessed by some god or some other gods and did some odd things, all right? You can read all that. Now, it doesn't jive completely with the Bible. I mean, it's not Bible. But listen, listen, listen. Even if we did not have the Bible, there are oral and extra-biblical historical documents that point to the fact that the king got kind of nutty towards the end of his reign, all right? It's there. But, but listen, that's not the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing isn't this dude's out there, you know, eating grass and stuff. That's not the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing is that while he's eating grass for seven years, nobody takes his kingdom. That's weird, dude. I have found no other time in history where it was the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Assyrians, where, where the king went loony, went, went, went just kind of crazy for seven years, and nobody took his kingdom. But listen, listen, it's true. Listen, the Bible says that, but the historical documents also say that. They say, look, dude, the dude went nutty, but he didn't lose his kingdom. That's weird. The question is, you get the Bible, you get this extra-biblical content, whether you want to put much weight on it or no weight on the extra-biblical stuff, that's cool. I don't care. The point is, both documents are going to say, hey, the dude got his kingdom back. That's odd. Why did it happen? Because God said, if you remember the dream, you're going to get your kingdom back. God said that. And you don't know this. God be saying stuff. It be happening. Right? God says it's going to happen. It did happen. Don't believe the Bible. Cool. Let me pull out these documents. It happened. It happened. All right. Went down. It's weird. I know. It happened. All right. You get to verse 34. We'll close out this way. We're going to see the exaltation of the dreamer. We're going to conclude this way. We're going to see what true repentance looks like. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to repent. Four elements to the, re the repentance. Let's look at it. First, here's what he does. He acknowledges that God is sovereign. Come on, look, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, got his eyes off self, lifted to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion. Come on, his everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He begins this way takes his eyes off himself, places his eyes on the living God, and immediately what happens? His reasoning returned to him. Second thing he does, verse 35, he acknowledges that God, he acknowledges that man is not God. Thing that'd be easy to do, but he does. He says, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing as he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's repenting. He's repenting. He said, I mean, I'm not God. You're God. And I can't stop your hand, and I repent of what I've been doing. Verse 36, he then acknowledges that God gives grace to the humble. Check it out. 
At the same time, my reasoning returned. In other words, the same time he took his eyes off himself, put his eyes on God, the same time he says, return to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. He got his kingdom back simultaneously, taking his eyes off self, placing them on God, repenting of his sin. His kingdom is returned to him. My counselors and my lords, they sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. That's what happens. God gives grace to the humble Fourth thing that we see and final thing we see is this, verse 37. He acknowledges that God's judgment is right. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all of his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Man, he said, he go, man, listen, you, God, you harsh on me, man. And he was. God had been harsh to him. But he says, it was right. God, it was right. You were right in doing that. You were right in the judgment placed upon me. So I would say in repentance, those four components should be there, right? You acknowledge that, God, you are sovereign. You acknowledge that you are not God. You acknowledge that God gives grace to the humble. And you acknowledge, dude, God, your judgment is right. I don't know, man. Very well may be when you get to heaven, you've seen King Nebuchadnezzar. And it won't be because he was a good dude. He was a dirty, rotten dude. That dude, bad dude, bad dude. But God, in his graciousness, humbled him. And in his humbling, he repented and he believed, and God restored him. The grand truth we see today once again, is that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You wake up in the morning and you say, you know what, I want God to actively oppose me. Be proud. Be proud. God will actively oppose you. If you want God to have grace upon you, the Bible says, God says, walk in humility. And by the way, this flesh is always trying to walk boastfully, so you got to push it down. But we want to be a humble, gracious people, and we seek to live our lives to that end. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.